Good morning, everyone. We are in week three of Explore God. Fellowship of Faith is joining together with over 800 churches to tackle seven big foundational questions. Foundational questions to Christianity, but also foundational questions, I believe, to life. And today is a big one that I think all of us have had an interface with at one point or another, and it's the question of why does God allow suffering? And my bet is, at some point for each of us, we've been in that place wondering, be it theoretical, just in terms of the large-scale suffering that our world faces, or something very particular that we're facing ourselves. How could a God who is good and just and righteous and powerful allow something like evil to continue to propagate in suffering to result? You know, I've learned that it's one thing to talk about suffering, but it's far different when you talk to someone who has actually suffered and found God more deeply in the midst of it. I want to introduce you to someone today, and her name is Corrie Ten Boom. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with who Corrie is, but she was a Dutch girl who lived in the Netherlands during Nazi occupation. Her and her family helped hide and then helped Jews escape from the Nazi regime, their own form of the Underground Railroad in that culture. They were found out, caught, arrested, tried, and sent to the concentration camps right alongside the Jews that they were trying to save. Now, it came on my grid here about, oh, I'd say a year ago. An amazing woman we have here connected with Fellowship of Faith. Her name is Carla Chandler. And it came to find out that Carla actually does a one-woman presentation of Corey Ten Boom's story, specifically through The Hiding Place and the story of finding God in the midst of suffering. And in the series of some conversations together, asked her if she would be willing to share that here and approach this question of suffering today, not so much by talking about it, but by hearing the words of someone who suffered some of the worst atrocities this world has to offer and letting Carla be her voice. So if you would welcome with me, Carla Chandler, Corey Ten Boom. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. For you see, many years ago, God gave me a story to tell. And he told me to tell it to anyone who would listen. And so I obey him. Now my story begins in 1940. The years of World War II. For some of you, this may be like a history lesson. For others, it may be a memory of great hardship and pain uh, that family or relatives may have gone through. But for me, 
it was the beginning of learning how to live the truth of Romans 8.35 that says that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible also says it's not hardship or persecution. You will see that in my story. Not famine or nakedness, that too. Danger or the sword, that itself. You will see that in my story. But you will also see that none of those things were able to separate me from the love of God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, my home was in Harlem, Holland. I lived there with my sister Betsy and my elderly father, who was a watchmaker. I, too, was a watchmaker. I was the first woman in all of Holland to be licensed as a watchmaker. Yeah. Now, my mother and her three sisters had lived with us, but they were now home with the Lord. My brother and other sister were married with families of their own, so it was just Papa and uh, Betsy and I that lived above Papa's watch shop that had been in our home for over 100 years. Now, the watch shop, it was just one from wide, but two rooms deep. Above that, there was the parlor and the kitchen. And then 100 years ago, they added the house behind us. Uh, it was only just one room wide, but three rooms, one right on top of the other. <laughs> it was a funny-looking house, but it served our family very well during the four years. It was spring, 1940. All the nations around Holland had already been occupied by the German army. But Holland had been free. Until this night, Queen Wilhelmina comes on the radio. Fellow Hollanders, tonight the lights of free Holland have gone out. We too were now occupied by the German army. Now, as you know, it was Hitler's intent to wipe all the Jews off the face of the earth. Now, our family was Christian, but we had many Jewish friends. Papa would always say that they were the apple of God's eye, and he pitied anyone who would try to harm them. So we knew we had to do whatever we could to help. The first thing that happened in the occupation is they came for our radios. Well, they took the big one in the parlor, but I had this little one up that I hid because I knew we would need news from the outside world at this time. The next thing we read in the papers, all the Jews must go down to the market square, line up and get that yellow star of David to wear on them at all times that they would be easily identified. 
world that made my papa so angry, gets his coat and hat, walks right down to the market square, stands next to our good friend, Dr. Heemstra, who says to him, what are you doing here? Well, I came for my star. You are not Jewish. You have no J on your identity card. Well, you could get me one. If we all had J's on our identity card, they would not know who was Jew and who was Gentile. Gasper, go home. No, I will get my star. And I will wear it until God tells me to take it off. The God of Abraham and Isaac, and my God too. <laughs> well, that day, Papa came home with his yellow star of David. It was not too many days later that a pastor comes into the shop, hands me his watch. It loses five seconds a day. Can you fix it? Well, yes, pastor, maybe need just a little bit cleaning. Uh, could you do it while I wait? I would like to go up and speak to your papa. Uh, here he is wearing the yellow star of David. Yes, Pastor. Well, Pastor had not been long up with Papa when the door to the shop opens again and in comes Dr. Heemstra. He has his coat all around him. He goes back to the workshop. We shut the door. He opens his coat. There is a beautiful Jewish baby. Corey, can you help us? Well, I take the baby upstairs and uh, Betsy begins feeding him soup for we were only three adults. We could get no ration cards for milk. And then Pepsi says, oh, Pastor, oh, the Lord must have sent you here. You live in the country, and the baby could be safe with you, and he could have milk. Well, as she was speaking, you could see the color begin to drain from Pastor's face. Why, why I cannot... It is too dangerous, and I could be arrested. And, and what would my family do? What would my uh, church do without a shepherd? And, and it is illegal, and Christians must obey the law. Do you realize what we would be risking for the sake of one Jewish baby? Well, I was so angry, I got up to give him a piece of my mind. Papa says, no, Corey. Pastor came here to ask me to take off my star. Very well, Pastor. I will take it off. But the baby stays. Pastor gets his coat, hat, looks at Papa. Then, boom, this is on your head. I will come for my watch tomorrow. Well, I was so angry. And he calls himself a man of God. Why, Papa says, Corey, oh, if you had only known my Papa. Corey, just because a mouse would live in the cookie jar doesn't make him a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> well, my brother Willem, 
had been active in the underground. And he came, and he got the baby safely away to the country. But my friends, this was the beginning of our many adventures of being a hiding place for any Jew who knocked on our door for help. Some would come, they would stay a long time. Some would be a short time. We would be like a way station until they could get safe to the country. And uh, they, we would take men, women, children, young people, old people, anyone who would knock on our door for help. Well, we did this for over three years. And uh, then one day, I get a message from the police chief. He wants to see me. I confess you, I was so frightened for fear that uh, I might be arrested. But I went. I sat down, shuts the door. He goes over, turns the radio up loud. Miss Ten Boom. I have heard of your work. Uh, sir, it is my father who is the watchmaker. No, Miss Tenboom, your other work. Well, sir, our work with the children had to be uh, abandoned when all unauthorized meetings had to be stopped. Miss Tenboom. There are many of us who are in great sympathy with what you are doing, but we are in no position to make our feelings be known. For you see, your house is known as God's underground. Sir, if you are trying to trap me, using the name of the Lord is not the way. If I were trying to trap you, you would be down the hall now talking to the Gestapo. Then why did you send for me? Takes a paper out, begins writing. I have the name of a man that I want you to pass on to your contacts in the underground. Who is this man? He is a businessman. And he betrays people to the Gestapo for 75 guilders a head. You just pass this man's name on. They will know what to do with him. Sir, if I could do as you asked, it would be as if I myself were killing him. The most I can do for you is to put his name before the Lord and ask the Lord to change his heart. Great sadness came over the man's face, took the paper back, ripped it up. You do that, Miss Tenboom. Some time later, uh, I was uh, in the shop, and a man comes. Now, before I tell you about this, I must tell you that uh, when we first uh, uh, became a hiding place for the Jews, oh, you need a place to hide, yes. <laughs> 
So uh, the underground came. And, and remember that house I told you added to ours 100 years ago, which was one room, three rooms right on top? It was in that top room, my bedroom, that they made the hiding place. Well, uh, it had a window that if Jews were there, they might escape over the rooftops. Uh, and then the way the floorboards were and the bricks on the wall, uh, it would look as if the room were made that way if they put a wall right across the back of my room. And of course, it had to be made out of brick uh, because if the Gestapo would raid your home, they would take the back of their guns and they would pound holes in the wall to see if there were any uh, hiding places back there. And oh, this room, maybe only that wide? Maybe only four or five could get in there. I would say to my sister Betsy, the Lord better not send anybody wider than me to get in here. <laughs> <clears throat> well, the underground also had to uh, make hiding places for our ration cards that we would have to get and that radio that I had. And they gave us a secret telephone. And then they installed a buzzer system that if we expected a raid, uh, they would uh, ring the buzzer. And that any guest we had time in our house at that time, they would have to gather all their belongings and run up to the hiding place. Uh, the underground said that uh, we must uh, do it in under 60 seconds. Well, we practiced much, but we could only do 70 seconds. <laughs> but we had to practice at mealtimes. Uh, then our guests would have to take all their belongings, the food they were eating, and run up to the hiding place. We would have to make it look like only three were eating there. And then we would practice in the night, another favorite raid time of the Gestapo. This time, they not only had to take all their belongings, but the, the bedding, and then they had to stop, take time to turn over the mattress, for uh, it was a trick of the Gestapo to feel if there were any warm spots on the bed. So this was our hiding place. And uh, I... When uh, that police chief asked me to take uh, that uh, man's name, uh, I would only be thinking of how the Lord had protected us through this. So when I come back from there, uh, a few days later, a man comes into the shop. A Jan Vogel. Miss Ten Boom. Could you help me? My wife is Jewish, and she has been taken. But the guards can be bribed for 600 guilders ahead. And uh, then I would need a place for her to hide until uh, we could get her safe to the country. Well, 600 guilders was a great deal of money. But what is money for the sake of a good woman? Yes, you come back in an hour, I will have it for you. Well, that day, I had woke up with the beginning of the flu. 
Oh, you know how you feel. Uh, your heart, great fever. Your head feels big. You feel so weak. Betsy says, Corey, you go to your bed. I will get the money for this man. I do not know how long I was in that bed. But the next thing I hear is that buzzer going off. And then my door burst open. Corey, can you help us? That day we had six Jewish guests with us. They go through my closet to the hiding place. I get the shelves back, the linens on the shelves, door shut. Back to my bed, my door burst open again. It was the Gestapo. Where are your Russian cards? What Russian cards? He beats me. Where are the Jews? What Jews? He beats me again. That day, my brother Willem and his family had been visiting. And it was that day, February 28. 1944, we were all arrested. I was 50 years of age. We were taken to a prison in Amsterdam, and we were there for six months. It was there that I learned that my brother and his family had been released. Hallelujah! But he also found out that my elderly father had died after only 10 days. And I had no word of my sister Betsy. But my friends, even in this hardship and in this persecution, God was with us. He sent us an angel. Her name was Katya. She was another prisoner. Now, as I said, when I was arrested, I was very ill, very high fever. And uh, so they put me in isolation cell for fear that typhoid would go all through that prison. And uh, I was so ill that Katya, it was her job to give the food to the prison. She would come and have to feed me. I was so ill. One day she came in, I was some better. She said, Corey, I can get you anything you want. I can get you aspirin. I can get you more blankets. I can get you cigarettes, anything you want. And then when you get mail from home, you can pay me. Oh, Katya, could you get me a Bible? Well, she looked at me like that fever had made me crazy woman of all the things that I could get. But of course, I knew what my real need was. <laughs> then the next time she comes, she says, Corey, I have fresh bread for you from the Vorden's Bakery. If we open it up, there's a little Bible. The underground made them specially for prisoners. Oh, how I began praising and thanking God. God just says, don't I get any thanks? Oh, then I prayed for her, and I, I just got to bless her. She backs up. You think you can survive in this place by doing that, by praying? 
There is only one way to live here, and that is to hate. Oh, gotcha. Hate can put you in a worse prison than this. Well, I have been here three years, worked my way to this position, and now I live for the day that I can get the swine who betrayed me. Well, maybe God sent Katya as an angel for us, but maybe God sent us there for her, yeah? Well, indeed, we could get mail when we were in that prison. I knew my family would want somehow to communicate uh, what happened to those six Jews that were in the hiding place and we were arrested. And then I remembered the trick of the underground and I began peeling up the stamp on the outside of the envelope. There under the stamp were the words, all watches safe. <laughs> Hallelujah. God made them and it was a such a worth it all that they could be safe. The next thing that happened was that we were all taken out of that prison. Hundreds upon hundreds of us and we were herded down to the train station. Now as I told you, I had never seen my sister Betsy but there among the hundreds of women, who should I see over there but my sister Betsy? Oh, what a glorious reunion we had. Because even, see, in this hardship, in this persecution, God knew that we needed each other to go through this. Oh, praise God, what a reunion we had. Well, then we were all herded into these boxcars. We were in there so tight, we were like matchsticks in a matchbox. If any woman were to get sick or to die, uh, there would be hardly a place for her to fall to the floor. And it was now August. We were still in our clothes winter that we were arrested in. We were in there. Three days and three nights. No sanitary conditions. So you can imagine the stench. Every so often they would stop the train, put a pail of water in, but then the women were like uh, uh, crazy and only a few got any of the water that would be in the front. When the train stopped, and we got out. We see that we were at the dreaded German concentration camp Ravensbrück. In our underground work back in Holland, we had heard of the terrible atrocities that happened there. And uh, we prayed that we would never go. But now, that that we had feared the most had come upon us. As we walked in and lined up, we see that we must give them everything, down to every stitch of clothing on our back. I thought, God, how can I get the Bible through? I grab Betsy, I go over to the guards, where are the toilets? Use the drain holes in the showers. We go over there and I, I see the shelves. 
I have Betsy take off her sweater. We've wrapped the Bible up, uh, put it on the shelf, thinking that after our showers, we would come back to get that. <laughs> that was quite <Corrie> Boom's idea. <laughs> well, then it's our turn to strip naked and stand before those men guards to have a shower. On the one hand, I have never felt such humiliation. On the other hand, the water was like a great blessing and cleansing from God after the three days and the three nights in the boxcar. Then we were instructed that we were to get one dress from a big pile of, pile of dresses on the floor and one pair of shoes from another big pile of shoes on the floor. Just one dress, no underwear, one thin dress, and one pair of shoes. Betsy and I get dressed, we go back to the shelves. I take a, her sweater, I stuff it down my front. Betsy had always been very ill, so uh, I knew she would need this extra warmth in this place. And uh, then we take the little Bible, I put it here, put my shoulders up that they would not see. And if we look over there, I see everyone must line up again, raise their hands, and be searched all over again. I just prayed, Lord, you gave us your word. Now you must find a way to get it through these gates of hell. It was in the Lord's hands now. We go over, we line up. Women raise their hands. They are searched. The woman in front of Betsy raised her hands. She was searched. They found something. They dragged her out of the line. They began beating her. Then it was Betsy's turn. She was searched. That woman was uh, creating so much trouble, the guard had to go help. I walk right on through. <laughs> Hallelujah. God found a way to get his word through those gates of hell. It was like he put angel wings around me. You know, angel wings are transparent, but today he made them untransparent. <laughs> Hallelujah. We got his word through those gates of hell. And we go to our barracks, built for maybe 200 women. We had six, 700 women. We go in uh, uh, lined with bunk beds, three, sometimes five high, made out of very rough wood and very thin, uh, sour-smelling straw mattress. I look down, fleas. Katya says, no, lies. The guard comes in. We must all stand. Ravensbrook is not a rest camp. There will be a roll call at 4.30 every morning, seven days a week. You will get one half liter soup, one half pound bread, per day. In the morning, you will all be assigned 
over detail. There is only one road to freedom here, and that is work. Well, we got our bread and our soup. We were sitting on our bunk, and Betsy begins praying and giving God thanks. I said, Betsy, God doesn't expect thanks for this. <laughs> but Corey, it is warm, and we can lie down tonight after the three nights in the boxcar. Well, all right, but I will not thank him for the lies. <laughs> but Corey, there has to be a plan. God makes no mistakes. That was my sister Betsy. Indeed, the next day, we were all assigned a work detail. Katya was assigned a hospital. She had had such work in the past. The rest, we were heavy labor. We would have to cut down trees, drag them out. We would have to dismantle all rusted out German tanks and work in stone quarries, move things from here to there. Very hard work for men, let alone women. That night... We're back in the barracks, and Akacha had uh, borrowed a pair of scissors from the hospital. She was cutting all of our hair. And uh, some of the women were saying, no, don't cut it so short. Well, what do you want, hair or lice? And anyway, you need to be thankful for those little darlings, because as long as we live in this lice pit, no guard will ever come back, and we can do what we want. <gasps> Betsy says, see, Corey, we can even thank God for the lies, because now we can have Bible studies every night. <laughs> even in this hardship, God was with us. Hmm? One night, Betsy was teaching from Matthew 18, where it says where two or three are gathered together. There I am in the midst of you. And Betsy was saying that to the other women that outside of this place, we would not know one another. There would be so many barriers between us. But here, together, in this place of darkness, we can be lights. And then Betsy began praying. And she prayed for our German guards who were very mean to us. And she prayed, God, forgive them before they even know to ask for forgiveness. I am so ashamed to say to you that I could not pray that prayer with my sister Betsy. When she was praying for those German guards for the forgiveness and my eyes were shut, all I could see in my mind was that day that uh, Betsy was working in the stone quarry. She could not carry very many. She was so weak, but it made the guard so angry. The guard beat her, beat her so hard. Betsy permanently lost the hearing in her ear. And as Betsy was praying and my eyes shut, seeing in my mind, all I wanted to do was go pick up that pickaxe that I was working with that day and go and beat that guard. 
with my pickaxe. I had such hatred in my heart. Another night, Betsy was teaching from 1 Thessalonians where Paul was admonishing, do not repay evil for evil, but do good. For this is the will of God through Christ Jesus. And uh, give thanks in all circumstances. Well, there was a woman back there, cry, called out, that is a mockery in this place, not a comfort. Betsy said, but God didn't make this place. Man did. Well, do you mean to tell me that your God doesn't smell the stench from the smoke of those chimneys out there where they are burning our people and he chooses to do nothing about it? Betsy begins to cry. If you could only know his love. The woman had rags around her hand. She began unwrapping them. I am the first violinist of the Warsaw Orchestra. And you mean to tell me that your God of love will dis? And we see that they had cut all her fingers all the way. There was a great silence in the room. I stand and say to her, This God that you are accusing came down from heaven. He lived in the midst of us. He was mocked and he was beaten and he died on a cross for love, for us. Then why did your God of love send you here? If you know him, You do not need to ask why. I had to go to the lettering. I had to be alone. I prayed, God, I cannot get rid of this, this hatred in my heart. Take it away, God, and replace it with your love. God, Don't let me go mad in this place, poking around on my own. You know what I am. Hide me, God, in the center of your film. It was now winter. It was very cold. Betsy had become very ill. One night she woke me up, gory. God spoke to me in a dream. And he told me that we are going to be free before the new year. The both of us. And that when we are free, we must go all over the world and we must tell everyone who would listen that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. And Gory, they will believe us because we were here. 
some time later, Betsy went to the hospital, and it was there that she died. It was December 16, 1944. Betsy was free before the new year. Just 12 days later, we were standing out in roll call. We were stamping our feet, so cold we needed to get the blood going. And the guards uh, have us stand hours upon hours there. I would bring my Bible for the long time we would stay. Guards come. When your number is called, stand out for pickup. There are many numbers for called. Then I hear 66730. That was me. Katya says, Glory. What you have said, I want him. How? How do I have him? Oh, Katya, just ask. But I don't know what to say. And I give her my Bible. But he does. Just ask. As I stood out for pickup, I thought for certain that I was going to my death. I was thinking back to my childhood when my papa was tucking me into bed for night. And I said, Papa, what is it like to die? Papa said, Cory, you know, when I go to Amsterdam to Vyvoches and I take you with me, when is it that I give you your ticket? Well, not until I board the train, Papa. Hmm. So it is with that, Cory. When the time comes, your wise and heavenly Father will give you all the strength you need. Hmm. Well, to my surprise, I was not called out for my debt, but for my release. I learned years later that my release was due to a clerical error. But I also learned that shortly after my release, all the women in my age group were killed. And that would have been Katya as well. As I walked out of that prison gate, it was December 28. 1944, I too was free before the new year. And I remembered what my sister Betsy said, that when we are free, we must go all over the world. We must tell everyone who would listen that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. I know, because I was there. Now, my friends, I do not know this very day what hardships you might be facing. This very moment, I do not know. Or maybe even persecutions. I do not know that one day you too may face 
famine, nakedness. I do not know. Or maybe danger. Maybe this very moment, some of you here are facing death itself. I do not know. But this one thing I do know, none of that is able to separate you from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For you see, there is no darkness that Satan can create that will shut out the love, the never-ending love of God for you and for me. Now my sister Betsy told me to tell it, and now I have told it to you. God bless you.